Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Welcome to the Midweek in the Word podcast. We're glad you're joining us for our fourth episode of Midweek in the Word. And I I just want to take a moment and thank all of you for the feedback we've received. Both Tom and I have just been overwhelmed by the number of people who have taken the time to thank us for what we're doing. We are thrilled that it's been an encouragement to you and it's been a blessing to you as you're seeking to read. Um, So keep that feedback coming. And if there's anything as far as questions that you would like us to address specific to Tom's messages or more generic about specific topics related to how do I interpret the Bible, please feel free to shoot those our directions. Email them to Tom, send them to me. We'd love to hear your feedback and we'd love to tailor this to help you as you're studying the Word. But that all being said, as always, I am Pastor Brad, the Adult Ministries Pastor at Faith Bible Church, and week four, Tom is here with me again. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Good afternoon. Ready to go. So here we go, Route 66, Genesis through Revelation. We find ourselves in the midpoint of Genesis, dealing with the major character of Abraham in Genesis 11 through 22 this last week. And while we're on that, I know it's still early in our reading, and since we're still in the Old Testament and there's there's still a lot of stories coming, I wanted to take a moment and slow down and talk about the most common form of literature in all of Scripture. As many might be aware, over 43% of Scripture is comprised of narrative or stories. We run into it all over the place in Scripture, and particularly in the Old Testament, we're right in the thick of it in Abraham and Genesis. So it's critical that we need to understand how to interpret this form of Scripture, this genre of Scripture, as we'd call it. So I want to focus this week in on that. But as always, before we get to that, let's backtrack. Abraham got... 12 chapters, a lot of time. I know you felt rushed a bit in your message on what you could deliver based upon how much was there. But what did we learn about God? Bring us back a bit to the story of Abraham. Well, the intriguing thing, I think, is uh, his commitment to his promise and how he protects it and unfolds it along the way. It started all the way back with uh, Genesis 3.15, the promise of the seed of the woman who would come would bring victory uh, over the serpent. And uh, so you see it, especially in the narrative of Abraham, that God's faithful to that. I think the other is that there's an an increasing uh, illustration of his redeeming grace. Uh, Mm. Takes Abraham, a a man that grows up worshiping idols, and calls him and creates a whole nation out of him. But uh, he's certainly undeserving. And then I think the other was uh, just... Uh, he is compassionate toward the needy, and mm. you just see that over and over in the life of Abraham, how um, not, again, not on the basis of anything they merit, but just that he sees and cares and responds to the needy. Very nice. Absolutely. And it, it is kind of an interesting pivot in Genesis 2 as well. Uh, when we hit Genesis 12 and run into Abraham, we move from God creating the world and all that goes into that to God creating a people. And he zooms yeah. in on a particular people group. Yeah. So how does that relate to what we learned in the story of Abraham about mankind, about us? Well, I, I think it's important to know that that the, the air breaks go on when you hit mm-hmm. chapter 12. We've got over 2,000 years of human history in 11 chapters and 350 years of human history from 12 to 50. 
And so what you begin to see is that, that God is a relational, personal God. I mean, he introduces himself that way as the Lord God back in chapter 2. But you begin mm. to see how he just intimately guides and directs and relates to one particular man and then multiplies it out uh, to a family and a nation. Mm. Sure. Sure. And then, and then lastly, how does it point us to Christ? How does the person and the story of Abraham help direct us to the person and work of Christ? Well, in, in his unfolding the story of Abraham, it is clear that humanity is prone to sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter how many times they're blessed, they, are, they will fail, they will falter, they will fall. And yet there is provided for them a covering. And uh, so in the Abraham story especially is just a number of times where you have the altar, the altar. So we have Mm. back in chapter 4, you've got Abel offering a lamb as a sacrifice, but it doesn't say anything about the altar. There you've got Noah coming off of the boat, building an altar, offering multiple animal sacrifices. But then when you get to Abraham, you begin to realize that there is there is the necessity of an innocent one to die in order to maintain uh, communion with God. Mm. And so you begin to see that there must be some sacrifice ultimately coming. So I would say that was, and of course, that, that really reaches its climax with the picture of Isaac's sacrifice in chapter mm. 22, where there's a one who carried the wood for the sacrifice on his back, is offered up by the father, is bound on the altar. God provides the lamb of rescue. Mm. And then it points you obviously to Jesus who carried the wood of the cross on his back, is offered up by his father. God did, again, provide the lamb for the sacrifice, but this time the lamb was his son. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, is, it is really convicting and, and strikes me. You had us reading from Hebrews, you know, Hebrews mm-hmm. 11 this week in anticipation of Abraham, and just that reminder that we have this hall of faith that we tend to think of as these great giants of yeah. the Old Testament, guys that did a, amazing things, women that did amazing things. But the reality is the resounding theme there is they put their faith and hope in in, in God yeah. and in in what he did for them. Yeah. And that really comes out in the story yeah, of Abraham. Clearly, uh, the, the, key, the takeaway line from Abraham's life, if you miss everything else, is 15.6. He believed God and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Mm. So it's just on the basis of that faith alone. Everything else kind of pivots on that theme for Abraham, for sure. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so let's let's go back then with with that resounding a bit in our ears, and let's look back and let's try to take a look at this genre of narrative or or story. You know, it's it's kind of odd that we struggle a bit to understand this genre, considering we listen to stories from the time we're children. In fact, in one of the books uh, that I would recommend to people, uh, "How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth" by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, they say this in the narrative section. I found this intriguing. Unfortunately, failure to understand both the reason for and the character of Hebrew narrative has caused many Christians in the past to read the Old Testament story poorly. In our experience, people force incorrect interpretations and applications on narrative portions of the Bible as much or as more or as as or more than they do on any other parts. Their intended value and meaning are replaced with ideas read into rather than out of the text. And unfortunately, I think I've seen that for myself as well. So help us get off on the right track here. What are some of the biggest challenges you think we most face as we approach, especially Old Testament narrative? Well, I I think the first question is, uh, is this real history? 
Hmm. Or is this mythology? I mean, we have to answer that question, and that that will help you determine how you're going to read it. If these are real uh, flesh and blood people living in a point time in history, then you read it as God's story through their story. Hmm. So I think that's the first. I think the uh, the other the the great danger, obviously, uh, in my background, has been that we end up with a moral application. So hmm. uh, we shouldn't lie like. Uh, like Jacob lied because you know it doesn't work out well, or mm-hmm. you know we, we we should not take multiple wives, you know, mm-hmm. like Esau took because you know those marriages don't please your parents. You know, mm-hmm. you always come up with some moral application, forgetting the real purpose and flow of the story. So that's probably the first one. I think the second one is. Um, we've talked about it before. It's speed reading. Mm. We read it so fast we don't really see where the moving parts are. And uh, so the, the whole narrative model requires that you, you read with a great sense of curiosity and alertness to mm. all the moving details. And uh, I think the other one is, is uh, looking for the main plot line. Because mm. there's, uh, this is like in the story of Abraham, there's, there, there are subplots and there are other actors in the thing who, who have significant stuff happening to them. Yeah. So the story is about God's calling Abraham, but along with that is Sarah there, is his dad, and then there's his nephew Lot, and then they go to Egypt to come back, and they've got an Egyptian handmaid, and all of those are stories all their own Hmm. written underneath. And so to keep coming back going, well, what's the main story that's being written? And these others, they, they are coloring the story, but God has one story to tell, I think. Yeah, following that, that Christ is is the hero. God is the hero of this yeah. story, which kind of leads into the next question and, and about what do we need to keep in mind about this genre, you know, and what's going on with the stories? Because we, we kind of identify with stories, but we want to put ourselves immediately right at the center yes. of them. Yeah. Um, so what do we need to keep in mind about this genre that's unique to narrative? Well, it, it, it has a plot line. It has a singular plot line that is, I think, complemented and supplemented by others. Hmm. So staying on that, it has a it has a declared purpose. The author is trying to tell a story accurately. Hmm. Uh, there is ultimately a message, but we don't want to land at the message too soon. Um, st- staying alert to what role the supporting actors and actresses play hmm. in the narrative, and uh, do they do they replace the hero? Who's the hero of the story? And especially when you're reading biblical story, is Abraham the hero of this story, or has God got a greater hero yet mm. to be revealed? So you've got to start with those questions in mind, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Trying to keep characters in the right place, if you will, yeah. a, a bit on it. I know uh, Fee and Stewart talk about three levels of narrative. They talk about what's going on in the in the grand story or meta narrative. They talk about what's going on in God redeeming a people. And then they talk about the individual story. Could you speak a little bit to that? Because I know especially the meta narrative is why we're doing this sermon series in 2020 anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like each of these narratives that we're following is a smaller portion of the bigger. Mm. So it's first is just remembering that there is a there is a story being told that begins in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation 22. And it is one consistent story, not a library collection of a whole bunch of disconnected stories. So I mm. think that's the first, keeping that, that elevated view 
so that when I'm reading these individual stories week to week, I'm not getting lost so much in those. Mm. But then I think it's also remembering that the theme that runs through is that God was redeeming a people that he had created for fellowship, Mm. a fellowship that was broken by the rebellion, created a gas or a chasm or a separation. Our sins have separated us from our God. And he is working to bring that back into resolution. Mm. So they are driven from the garden in chapter 3, but then suddenly you get to the end of the story, spoiler alert, but they, they, they are in the garden and they see him face yeah. to face. So I, I think that is... And, and then within that, every individual story contributes to the bigger one. It's not a freestanding. So um, we, we have a tendency to get hung up on particular characters and heroes. A lot of people write books to expand upon one particular character and gets, you know, Abra- <laughs> mm-hmm. the book on Abraham. But it, 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 when I start doing it, that, I, I tend to get too distant from the big picture. So mm-hmm. always taking the time to understand why God used these 12 chapters to talk about Abraham. At the same time, it's part of his bigger story. Mm-hmm. So keep moving back and forth. It's going up. Yeah, and it kind of harkens us back to high school English or, or lit, which maybe isn't exactly thrilling for everyone, but that idea of, can I follow the plot? Can I follow what's going on in this story and, and who's a part of it? Um, if, if you're interested at all in that genre idea of following the plot through the stories, uh, the Bible Project has an excellent resource on their website under thebibleproject.com backslash explore how to read the Bible. You can find it if you search around a little bit, and they've got an excellent video on plot and how does the plot of individual stories relate to the overall plot of all of Scripture. So I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out if you get the chance. Um, but coming back to what you were saying, um, so you're talking a lot about plot and following the way the story progresses. What other components should we maybe be looking for that help give us an indication of what the story is trying to convey? I, I, I think the structure of story is intriguing. It's basically a, a story is a character that wants something, and he's willing to take risks to attain it, mm. whatever that is. But as soon as he does that, he's going to end up in conflict or in a trial. And usually that, that character begins to lose heart, becomes discouraged, mm. whatever. So a guide is brought along to not to replace the hero, but to help him stay on track and to encourage him to pursue that thing that he was originally pursuing. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, the guide will say, I think you need to do this, move forward this way. And then he encourages him to take action. So you can't just you can't steer a parked car. So <laughs> the, the story has someone, something comes along to motivate movement on behalf of the hero, which ultimately brings him to a crisis where mm. he's got to say, am I going to decide this way or this way? And the decision he makes at the crisis moment determines whether it's success or the sorrow of failure. Mm. And so all the biblical stories seem to line up with that kind of structure to mm. them that somebody wants something that are willing to risk everything to attain. But along the way, there's going to be conflict. Mm. They need a guide to help them along the way. So you see it in Abraham, we'll see it in Isaac, we'll see it in Jacob, we'll see it in all the others as well. Take us a bit through that example. If we take Abraham as one large chunk, which admittedly you preached on that large of a section, most of us have a tough time reading that many chapters (laughs) in one sitting. But if we take the whole story of Abraham and you look at it through that lens, could you give us some examples of what you're talking about? Well, everybody around Abraham, I I think that Genesis 12 is set up by 10 and 11. And they had sons and daughters. They had sons and daughters. And then suddenly, Abraham, it's declared, his wife was barren. 
What Abraham wants more than anything is a son. Mm. We think he wants land and he wants all the blessings. He wants a son. So he's willing to take a risk. God says, if you will leave your family, your father's home, and follow me to a place, I'll tell you, I will bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll multiply mm. your descendants. Okay. So he takes the risk. But along the way, there is the the discouragement of I've gotten halfway to where he called me to go, and he, he seems to be pouring out blessing. I'm prospering, but I still have a son. Mm. And then he finally gets to the land of promise, thinking, okay, now, and everything around him, everybody around him is having sons. He doesn't have a son. And finally he goes, okay, I'm going to create a son this way. I'll take a, I'll take mm. a slave that was born in my home, Eliezer. No, that's not the one. Then his wife says, well, what about a surrogate? So you got Hagar. And mm-hmm. it's the God's, that's not the son. There's a son. So God steps in to become the guide and then says, now you've got a decision to make. You know, will you trust me? And mm-hmm. so just when you think, okay, all that he ever dreamed of having and the crisis, he finally obeys God. He gets the son. He's just chilled out and joined life. And God says, now give me the son back. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, he could have said, no, this is the son of promise. Mm-hmm. He belongs to me, not to you. And instead he gives him. And God says, because you did not withhold from me your son, your only son, Isaac, I will bless you. And then he gets the land and the seed and the mm. international blessing. But it's all written into that narrative. He, he could have made a different decision at that moment. Mm. I don't know what the redemptive story would have looked like mm. because mm-hmm. God graciously steps in and protects the redemptive. He tried to mess it up. You know, he, he allowed his wife to become almost the wife of another man twice. Yeah. And yet God said no. So there's this divine interference along the way as someone's pursuing the longing of his heart. I want a son. Hmm. So just like the stories that we really like where they set it up and the situation is Abraham. The conflict is he doesn't have the son. We see it continue to grow as he seeks solutions and he still doesn't have a son. And we see all these age dates that you noted of this this rising action that you're going, when is this finally going to happen? And then we get this climax moment of is he going to have faith in God and trust him or not? And that's where we see really the point of the story of Abraham isn't so much Abraham was good and he was bad. He did some right things and some wrong things, but that critical moment is what's highlighted in Hebrews where he trusted God and it was counted as righteousness. What an encouragement it is. Um, as, as we try to kind of wrap this idea up, as we, as we seek to do better with narrative then, can you give us an idea of some common mistakes that you see people make or that you have a tendency to make even yourself in your own study that, that we should be wary of and be trying to avoid? Well, I, I, I think the first one, as we've mentioned already, is that we, we draw our conclusion of the meaning of the story too quickly. Hmm. And uh, so, but I think the other one is that we go to the story because we have a personal want or need. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping to get a devil inspiration out of this one today. And so I go back and read Abraham and Sarah. And there is application. There is encouragement. God is faithful. God does the miraculous. He is, is the Lord of the womb. He is the giver of life. I need to be reminded of that, but the story wasn't just about that. So I need mm. to be careful not to just get there quickly, end there, and forget. And what else is God promising? Through the seed of Abraham, all the world will be blessed. Mm. So I, I think it's just arriving too quickly at the meaning of the story. Mm. No doubt. And I know in my own heart, my tendency is when I'm moving too quickly, I always insert myself as the hero, you know, yep. in situations where yep. it's like, am I the hero or the vil- villain here? 
the, the point of the story is I'm the villain. Like, I've got the problem, <laughs> and, and I always want to make myself the hero when yep. I read through it too quickly. Yep. Good deal. Well, that's an encouragement. Hopefully some things that you can keep in mind uh, as a listener if you are reading through narrative portions of Scripture, which is all over the place, and we will be in for quite a while um, mm-hmm. here in the Old Testament as well. But let's let's look forward, because uh, in, in light of this narrative discussion, we've still got some more narrative ahead. We've got yeah. the person of Isaac, which I know earlier this week you referred to as almost the forgotten middle child yeah. in between in between Jacob and, and Abraham. Um, but you're pausing long enough to slow us down and let yeah. us look specifically at Isaac. What what are you looking forward to in this week's message? Well, I, I think just that. We always hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We just go real quickly, slide right through. But God gives some significant attention to him for a reason. We, we, we see the barren womb narrative continuing and multiplying mm-hmm. is a big one. We, we, we see the, the death march we see the land, living in the land. The interesting thing about Isaac is as far as I can read in the text, he never left the land of Canaan. Hmm. His dad was in and out. Lot moved out of the land of Canaan into Sodom, never came back. Isaac never leaves the land. But at the same time, he, he gets married at age 37. He's married for over 20 years, and they still don't have any children. Hmm. So he's got his own his father's problem again. What do I yeah. want? I need a son. His wife wants a son. Yeah. So that's, I think the other is, uh, at, at the end of this, his father says, don't marry a Canaanite. Go back and get my son a wife back amongst the family. He goes back to Ur the Chaldeans, <laughs> a, a place of idolatry. That's an intrigue I'm not mm. quite sure about. But then when they have sons, they, his one son marries from within the land, and it grieves their mother. Mm. Daughter-in-law issues are all over the page. Mm. So he sends the other son back out of the land. Again. So we begin to say, God's got a plan for when and who to marry. Mm. So marriage issues, selection of mates, uh, trusting God for, uh, for, as he says, offspring. You see that word offspring over and over and over in the narrative. Those are the kind of things. And then there's a mystery in there. It's like, there's a lie to get a blessing, hmm. and it mm-hmm. worked. What mm-hmm. are we supposed to do with that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll be waiting on, on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that answer because that kind of is the interpretive question. You know, yeah. in stories, some of what we're wrestling with, you know, yeah. is how much moral instruction do we get yeah. out of this? Are we supposed to, supposed to lie because it worked out for Isaac? That'll be a good interpretive question to begin or to wait for, uh, for yeah. you to address a bit on Sunday. Um, but lastly, how can we prepare our hearts as, as we get ready for the message? Well, I, I think, again, it's, we will be encouraged to discover that God continually overrules evil attempts to hinder his purposes. Mm-hmm. And you see it in Abraham, you're going to see it again in Isaac, that just when we think that all hope is lost but God, Hmm. I think that's the promise. A lot of people just need to be reminded that I can trust God to fulfill his promise. Yeah. What a great reminder in, in both our successes and failures. It's like we're not big enough to, <laughs> to, right. to, to ruin or to make God's plan. Right. Uh, that'll be a great reminder on Sunday. Uh, well, we will be looking forward to hearing about Isaac. We'll be looking forward to continuing to look at narrative. Um, 
That's it uh, for this week's podcast. We're thrilled that you joined us. We're very thankful that you continue to tune in as, as we seek to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Quick reminder that we will be in Genesis 21 and 22 reading those passages to get ready this Sunday for Isaac and Tom's message. Um, and again, like I mentioned last week, if you're interested in more information on how to how to study Scripture, or how to maybe read particular types of genres, our biblical interpretation interpretation class will be starting next week, February 9th, second hour in the fellowship hall. I'd highly encourage you to take advantage of that. They'll explore some of this in a little more detail. And then lastly, if you're more of a video learner, I'd encourage you to check out the Bible Project's videos on different narratives different or different types of narrative, different types of genres, um, different components like plot, setting, and characters. They've got some excellent resources, and they're like five-minute videos. Would be a great watch if you get two, three minutes uh, in between things. Some time this week. Um, So just know um, that as we head into the weekend, we are praying for you. We're praying that you will grow in your knowledge and your love, um, both for scripture in general and particularly for biblical narrative as we seek to become better readers of that. And we hope you join us again next week uh, for episode number five. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.